All right, so y'all are probably wondering why there is a table of fruit beside me. Um, I, if you've been around a while, you know I, I don't use many visual illustrations, but I am today, so just ignore that for a few minutes until we get to it. <coughs> and, um, and before I start today on my sermon, I just feel like me being a pastor and all, and you guys being the church, and I, can, I, can I talk for 15 seconds about the election? Just 15 seconds here. Um, it's coming on Tuesday. And here's what I would say to you about the election. Um, do y'all know what the number one command in all of the Bible is? Do you know what like the, the command that is given more than any other command in all of scripture? Do you know what it is? Don't shout it out, but see if, see if you got it in your, in your head. There is one that is spoken more than any other command and that is this, this is do not be afraid. Did you know that? That's the number one thing that God commands us in all the scripture, do not fear. And so, that's the one thing I want you to know. So I've never, I've never seen an election in my life where both sides are just scared to death for the other person to win. So whatever side you're on, do not be afraid. That's one thing I'd say. And here's the second thing, is Wednesday morning when we wake up, Jesus Christ is still gonna be on his throne, amen? Amen? Jesus is still running the world on Wednesday morning. All right, that's all I got. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 35. And we are continuing through the book of Exodus. And as I told you last week, we're stopping and we're camping out on this little section where the Lord calls his people to give back to him. All right? To give back to him. Let me say say this. um, If you missed last week, we're kind of in a series on money. And I would strongly encourage, if you missed last week, to go back and and check out the podcast. You can go to austinstone.org and go to the sermon section. Go to iTunes and hear it. I set this whole thing up, give a lot of caveats, talk about why we're doing it, give give our heart behind it. So we're jumping in today. I'm not going to do a lot of that. And so if you missed that, please catch that next week. But let's read this together. Exodus chapter 35, verse verse 5. Okay. um, It says, take from among you, (coughs) this is uh, Moses speaking, and he's, been in the presence of the Lord, and he's saying, this is what God is saying to us. He says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine uh, twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for light, spices for anointing oil and for fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for ephod and for the breast piece. And so what's going on here is God has spoken to Moses and he's come to Moses and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and tell the people that since we are building a tabernacle in the wilderness, I want them to bring to me a contribution. And up to this point in the story, God has been doing the one that's, that's been doing all the giving. If they had needs in the desert, God was the one that provided those needs for him. But then all of a sudden he stops and he says now to the people of God, he goes, now I want you to be the one that is gonna give back to me, okay? And we see this principle that that goes through all of scripture where we have this loving God that provides for us everything that we have, that he gives to us everything that we have, but... He says, now that I've given you everything that you have, I want you to take a portion of it. I want you to set it aside for me, for my use, for my kingdom, for my glory, for the things that I desire to be done. Now, what I want to do today is I want to dig into a couple of questions. That's what this kind of whole sermon is going to be about today is digging into two questions. And here's the first one. It's in light of the biblical principle 
of God asking us to give back to him, okay, that we see all throughout the Bible, what is it that God wants? Like, what is it? That's the first question we're gonna look at today. What is it that God wants us to give to him, specifically talking over the last week, this week, and next week about our finances? That's the first question. And the second question is this, and it's probably a more important question. Um, more important than the specifics of what it is that God wants us to give to him. We're gonna look today at why. Why, why does God do this? Why, I mean, what, what's the point? Why does he give us everything we have, but then say, hey, now I want you to take a portion of the thing that I just gave you, and I want you to turn around, and I want you to give it back to me, all right? And I, and I say why is probably more important than the what for this reason. Don't turn there, I just want you to listen. But look at Colossians chapter nine, verse seven. Excuse me, Colossians 9, verse 7. Um, the scripture says this. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some of y'all thought maybe that last phrase was just some phrase that human said, God loves a cheerful giver. That's absolutely actually biblical. But look at it, what it says. It says, each one of us must give as decided in his heart, not reluctantly, uh, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And so what the scripture's saying is that you giving to the Lord out of what he's given you ought to be a heart decision. It ought to be something that you do because you desire to do it, not because you feel like you have to. God wants you to be a person that gives because um, it, it's something that's an overflow of the joy that he's put in you back to him, not because you're under compulsion to do it, because he loves a cheerful giver. In other words, when he sees us and we give to him because we love him and it's an overflow out of what he's done to us, he looks at us and he, he says, man, I love that. And so that's why the why of why we give is so important. Because if you're a believer here today, and you understand why he's asking you to give to him, then the cheerful giving part will just be a natural overflow of that, all right? So let's jump into the first question here, and that is what is it that God is asking to give, uh, for us to give to him back out of our finances? Now, I wanna talk for a second about the concept of a tithe. And, and, and I literally, there are dozens and dozens of verses, specifically in the Old Testament, I'm gonna do one in the New today, but there's dozens of instances where God talks about this concept of the tithe in the Old Testament. So I want to talk about it a little bit. But let me, I'm just, I'm just, I picked one. I had to pick one out of the dozen. So if you want to, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. <clears throat> All right, now this is the Lord speaking. And I want you to watch what he says about the tithe here. He says, he says, every tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, he says, it, or rather, is the Lord's. And it is holy to the Lord. I'll read that again. Every tithe of the land, whether it's the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Okay, now in this, again, in this verse, God uses the word tithe. And I want you to understand something about the word tithe. <clears throat> that is a Hebrew word, ma'asar. Ma'asar, and it's a word that literally means, in the Hebrew, a tenth. Okay, I, th I think a lot of us think when we hear this concept of tithe, we think it's just some kind of vague um, term that means something financial. It's actually a word that literally means a tenth. And so God says, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to take a tenth of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees or whatever, whether you got, whatever you got, your livestock, uh, your produce, whatever it is. God says, take a tenth and set it aside and I want you to give it to me. Now, <clears throat> there's two things that are critical to understand about this tenth that God just said I want you to set aside for me. So I want you to look at verse again. There's two things God says about this tenth that I think are critical today. Look at verse 30 again. God says, every tithe of the land, whether the seed or excuse me, yeah, of the land, whether the seed or of the land or the fruit of the trees, watch the first thing he says, is the Lord's. Okay, if you're taking notes, write that down. A tithe is the Lord's. Okay, the first thing he says and the thing that we need to understand is this 10%, this tithe, it belongs to God. He has ownership of it. That's kind of the first step that we got to get in our brains in order to walk out in obedience is this tithe belongs to the Lord. Now, I told you guys earlier, I I, I never use visual illustrations and I don't think um, I've done a visual illustration since I did this visual illustration 10 years ago, Um, but I'm going to do it again. So it's just a good picture of what God is asking you. So remember back in the day, people didn't get paychecks, right? They were typically farmers and so this would have been their paycheck. This would have been, you know, maybe I'm a farmer here and I grew some crops. I got some oranges here and I got some pears and I got some apples and I got some bananas and I got some pineapples. I got farming skills, right? It's been a good year, right? And so what God is asking us to do is this is our crop. This is our paycheck. This is the thing we got going here. God says, I want you to take a tenth of your produce and I want you to give it to me because it's mine, right? And so um, we'll do that. I'm gonna take one orange here. I'm gonna set it aside and I'm gonna put it on this table. This is, the, this is God's table over here. It's blue. All right, I'm gonna take one pear and I'm gonna put it over here. And uh, I'm gonna take one apple and I'm gonna put it over here. And I'm gonna take a banana and I'm gonna put it over here. And I'm gonna take one pineapple and put it over here. Did I, did I miss any fruit? Is any kiwis in there? All right, I think, I think we're good. All right, so basically, here's what God just commanded us to do in Leviticus. <clears throat> he says, this is your income here, and I want you to take a tenth of it, and I want you to put it over, and I want you to set it aside, and it is the Lord's. Okay, so this is, this is the 10% that is the Lord's, and this is the 90% that he says you could steward with it however you want to steward. Now you can already see we're not talking, there's a pretty big discrepancy here, but we'll just keep going. All right, so let's look again at the text. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. That's the first thing. It says, every tithe of the land, whether it's the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. And so what God just said about this table right here is that it is the Lord's. This, this tenth that he's asked you to set aside, that verse is very, very clear. It belongs to him. We no longer have ownership of this. He has ownership of this. It belongs to him. Now, <clears throat> the scripture is also really clear that this 90% right here, that belongs to him too. He's the one that owns that too, but he's, he makes it clear that he gives us this 90% for us to steward as we see fit. And we're gonna talk more about that next week, but here's kind of the basic principle. And the first thing we see about the tithe and what we need to understand about it is this belongs to the Lord, God said. And, and one, of the, one of the biggest steps 
that Jennifer and I, my wife, Jennifer is my wife, one of probably the most foundational steps that we took towards living, <coughs> excuse me, a God-centered, um, God-exalting, kingdom-building view of our finances is when we began to look at this table every month and absolutely just give up ownership of it. That was one of the biggest steps, and we did it a long time ago, back when we were poor as we could possibly be. We made the decision that we believe the scripture and what it says is a biblical picture, and this table right here, we just gave up ownership. It never belongs to us, it's not ours, it's not ours to mess with, okay? That was one of the most important things that we did years ago, and the, and the scripture is clear, this belongs to the Lord. Now, I want you to look at the next part of the verse, because what it does is it, say, it goes on, it says it's the Lord's, and then it says something else, but it tells us the extent that this table right here belongs to the Lord. It doesn't just say, okay, that's God's, but it actually goes farther than that, how much this belongs and should belong to God. Let's read it together. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 again. <clears throat> Every tithe of the land, <clears throat> whether it's the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. Now watch what it says next. <clears throat> it says, it is holy to the Lord. So God's speaking here and he said, this tenth is not only mine, it not only belongs to me, God says, but he says it is holy unto the Lord. It's holy unto the Lord. Now the word holy has basically two meanings in the scripture that it's important to understand when we're thinking about our finances. The, word, the first meaning of the word holy is means it's set apart for one purpose. And so God says, when you take this tent out of your income and you set it aside, not only is it mine, God says, but you need to understand that it is set apart. See how it's set apart now? It's set apart for one purpose. Not for multiple purposes, it's set apart for one purpose. And the other meaning of the word holy, because the Lord says this tithe right here is holy. <clears throat> the other meaning of the word holy is not for common use. So God says, take this tent, set it aside, understand it belongs to me, it's holy, which means there's only one purpose for it, and it's also not for common use, it's, it's for a noble use. You know, an illustration of that would be the priests back in the day in the temple, they hung out in the temple and they had all these utensils in the temple that they used for sacrifices and things like that, and one of the, one of the utensils that they had in the, in the temple was a knife. And they would use these knives to sacrifice the animals and this blood would be shed for the Lord for the sacrifice of sins. And these knives were considered holy, okay? They were set apart for a single purpose. They, they were not for common use. They were holy. So these, these priests, never in a million years, would, at the end of the day, would have grabbed one of the holy knives and stuck it in their pocket and gone home and carved up their steak at the house that night with it. They would have never grabbed it and gone hunting with it and, and, and harvested their animal because these knives were holy. They were set apart for one purpose. They were not for common use. <clears throat> and so that's what God says about this table right here. This little section, this little small thing right here. He says, one, I need you to understand it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It belongs to him. And the second thing he says is holy. You set it apart. It's got one purpose, it's not for common use. But here's the question I wanna ask you today. What happens, what happens in our lives if something comes up? Okay, maybe, maybe we've done this right here. We've done this, we've got the 90%, God, you're awesome, we love you, it's yours, it's holy, I set it apart. But what happens when something comes up in our lives where we need something, or maybe we even just want something? 
which table do we typically take from first if we need something? And I'm not talking about emergency. I'm talking about <clears throat> there's something in our lives that we need or we want. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of young people in our church, and so y'all might not remember this, but several years ago, gas prices went from about two bucks a gallon to about four bucks a gallon overnight. Anybody old enough to remember when that happened? Four of you, cool. <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, they're like, I wasn't driving then, and so I have no idea what gas costs. Mom was paying for it. And, but anyway, it went up to $4 a gallon, so I, I drive the same truck now that I did then, and my truck went from about 35 bucks to fill up to about 70 bucks to fill up overnight. And people were flipping out because that's a lot of money. And, and what we have a tendency to do when something like that, when there's a, a inflation or a price increase in our lives, what we have a tendency to do is say, hey, you know, God, um, you are God and you are sitting on your throne and I believe you're sovereign. And so you're in control of gas prices, God. So you could have kept the, the gas prices from going up. So God, I, I mean, come on, God, here, here, here's what I got to do right here. And you take from that table and, and, and you bring it over. And then, you know, you got things like the new iPhone comes out, right? The new iPhone comes out. <coughs> and you got the iPhone 6, and it works great. But then you come to God and you say, but God, have you seen the iPhone 7, God, right? God, the iPhone 7 is water-resistant, Lord. And Lord, you know, God, you know how often I have dropped my phone in the toilet. And so God, I need, I need the new iPhone 7. And God, have you seen the new emojis? Because they got the, like the confetti coming down, God, and the, and the balloons are going up. And so God, you, you understand, I need the iPhone 7. My, my, my friends will be so encouraged by the confetti, right? <laughs> <clears throat> and then a lot of you guys, are, to talk to you young men out there, you, you start dating a girl. You start dating a girl, and things get real complicated. <clears throat> and you read the verse that says that this is not for common use, right? But then you come to the Lord and say, Lord, do you see this girl? This is not a common girl, God. God, this is not a take her to Denny's kind of girl. This is a Ruth Chris kind of girl, God. God, you understand. And so which table do you take from? She's not a common girl, God. I'm going to talk to some of you older people. You know, you have a, you have a perfectly great house. It meets all your needs, but you get a raise. You get a promotion. It's a big one. You got lots of margin, right? And you want to be the parents that have the house that all the kids in the neighborhood come over to so that you can kind of control the situation and what's going on. And so you got, you're like, God, you understand. I want to raise good kids. And so, you know, we got to go get a bigger house, right? <clears throat> and then the next thing you know, this 10% that was supposed to be holy, this 10% that's supposed to be the Lord's, all of a sudden we've taken it and we've used it all for the things that we want, right? Um, and the reason... I think the reason that we don't consider this the Lord's, we think it's ours, is because we don't treat it as holy. Okay, you see how we do that? We do that all the time. We don't, we don't treat this table as set apart for one purpose. We don't, we don't treat this table 
is not for common use. We just look at all of it as ours. And how easy is it to take that 10% the Lord has asked and we use it for ourselves? Now, here's, here's another question for you and we'll move on. <clears throat> but does the scripture have anything, or rather the Lord, does the Lord have anything to say about how seriously he takes it when we do that? Just Old Old Testament style, he talks about it in the new, but do you think God cares about that right there? Do you think that maybe God's ambivalent? This is just, maybe he thinks it's not a big deal when, when, when we don't treat this as holy or treat it as set apart. I wanna read you a verse in Malachi. Don't turn there, just listen, Malachi chapter three, verse seven, because I want you to just, I want you to show you, because God hadn't changed, and I just want to show you kind of how big of a deal this is to the Lord. In verse, uh, chapter three, verse seven, this is God speaking to the people of Israel, and he says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. He says, return to me, and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And so God comes to his people and he says, hey, you guys from the days of your fathers, ever since your granddad was walking the earth, y'all been turning away from me. Y'all been running from me. He says, I want you to return back to me. And if you return back to me, I'll return back to you. And the people raise their hand and they say, God, what are you talking about? How do you want us to return back to you? Look at verse eight. God asked him a question. He says, will a man rob God? They're like, hey, how do you want us to return? And God says, will a man rob God? He says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? So God says, you wanna know how to return? Stop robbing me. People say, Question God, how in the world are we robbing you? That's some pretty strong language, God. And then he tells them, in your tithes and your contributions. God says, you are robbing me with your tithes and your contributions. And and verse nine, this gets pretty even more intense here. Verse nine, God says, you are cursed with the curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So the first thing we need to understand is this table that's supposed to be set apart. It is the Lord's. It belongs to him. It's holy. It's for one purpose. When we take from it, people have been doing this for centuries, by the way. God says, I want you to understand something. You're robbing me when you do that. It doesn't belong to you. It's holy. So when you take from it, you're robbing from me. And then he goes on and says, you're cursed. That sounds like a pretty big deal. But here's the thing I think we need to understand is that God takes this seriously. It's a big deal to him. There's something he's trying to accomplish in us by us setting this apart for him. And by the way, I don't wanna get into it, but the thing you gotta understand is that God goes on and he says, hey, if you will do this, if, we'll, if you will set this aside as holy unto me, I will bless you if you'll trust me in this. I will bless you if you will trust me with this. Now, but let's, that brings us to the next question here. And I think we're gonna jump into today. And that is this, and that's not only what God wants us to give, but why. Not what God wants us to give, but why. And before we do that, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Let me just answer a really quick question here. Um, One of the biggest questions that people ask me over the years, and one of the biggest pushbacks that I get is, is tithing just an Old Testament concept? 
You know, is, is this something, people have always pushed back and said, Matt, you know, Jesus never affirmed tithing, and so is this just something in the Old Testament that we don't need to pay attention to? And the answer is, that that's not true. That Jesus actually does, it's one little phrase he makes, but he does actually affirm tithing. Don't turn there, just real quick. Matthew 23, 23. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things, or but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And so what Jesus says, and it's kind of sneaky there, but he says, hey Pharisees, here's what you're doing. You're doing, you're tithing, that's great, that's awesome. You're tithing your mint and your dill and your cumin, but in the process of your tithing, you have neglected the weightier things of the law. You don't have righteousness in your life, you don't have justice in your life, and you don't have mercy in your life. And then Jesus, he says, but here's the thing, he says, the tithing thing, dill, mint, and cumin, those are the things that you ought to do, but you can't do it at the exclusion of the others. And so just real simply, Jesus affirms it. This is not something that all of a sudden we give up because we're in the New Testament and actually the New Testament calls for even greater sacrifice, but we're gonna get into that next week, all right? So here's the question. We'll start landing the plane on the sermon. More importantly than what it is, God calls us to give, but why? Why does God ask us to give of a portion of our income, set it aside, is holy unto him? What's he trying to accomplish in us? by asking us to do this, okay? I talked about this last week, Matthew chapter six, verse 21. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. And then we get to verse uh, 21 here. He says, because where your treasure is, that is where your heart is going to be. Jesus said, where you are spending your treasure, where you are placing your treasure, that is where your heart is going to follow after. Talked about it at length last week. And he says this because he's like, hey, if your treasure is going into the kingdom of God, the way that your heart is set up is your heart is gonna follow after the kingdom of God. But if your treasure is going into your own kingdom, your heart is gonna follow after your own kingdom. And so that's kind of the first thing, again, talked about last week. God says we do this, we set it aside, we make it holy so our heart will follow after the Lord. It'll belong to the Lord. It's one of the greatest indicators of the condition of our hearts is where's our treasure going, okay? Now, here's something else. Turn with me quickly, Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. There's two things in this verse that he shows kind of why we're still to give and set aside a portion of our income and then we'll be done. Deuteronomy 14, 22. This is God speaking and he says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Verse 23. He says, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell here you shall eat of the tithe of your grain. This is what's actually pretty cool about that verse is God's still calling you to set it aside, but he actually lets you use it there. But that's, no, here or there, it's not the point. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and of the firstborn of, the, of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. That last phrase is key. <clears throat> what, the, what the Lord just said is that what tithing does Setting this aside, a portion of our income, 
first, holy, set apart, not for common use. What God just said is when you do that, it teaches your heart to fear the Lord. It teaches your heart to fear the Lord, okay? Um, uh, probably the greatest pushback that we have for why we can't do this is because of all the stuff that we have already committed and are responsible for paying for. You know, probably the, one of the main reasons that we're not even, we might even want to, but we're not able to do this in our lives. I would say there's probably a lot of us in the room. We know the biblical arguments. We're just not able to do it because of the lifestyle choices that we've made. We have a mortgage. We have a car payment. <clears throat> you got a phone bill. You got credit card debt. You got an old Navy card with a balance on it. And you have all this stuff that you have to pay back. You're responsible for paying back. There are consequences that, you, that, you, that, that come upon you if you don't pay this back. And because of these lifestyle choices that we've made, we've found ourselves in a situation, listen, where we're, we're forced to first pay the institutions of man before we are able to give to the Lord. And I understand that all those things we have in our life are important and many of them are critical, but think about it for just a second. If, if you are giving of your finances that the Lord has provided you, if you're giving of your finances to Apple and you're giving of your finances to Chase Bank credit cards and you're giving of your finances to Starbucks and, and you're giving of your finances to Toyota Motors, but you never give to the Lord, you never say, God, I'm, I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna set it aside as holy unto you. You may never admit it. We, we may never admit it. We may never even think about it this way. We, we, we may never verbalize it in this way, but, but if that is the case, then in a very real way, with your finances, what you are saying is that you fear all those other institutions of man more than you fear the Lord. That's, that's in a very real way what you're saying. And one of the things that happens, one of the things kind of that occurs, God is saying, is that when you take a portion of your income and you set it aside first unto the Lord before anything else, what God is saying, not me, what God is saying is that teaches your heart. And the moment you do it, it teaches your heart to give him the, his, his rightful place in your life. That, that act of, of doing this right here, it teaches your heart to fear God and to give him your rightful, or rather his rightful place in your life, okay? It teaches us to fear the Lord. And I, I don't think there's a believer in this room that wouldn't say, yes, God should have first place in my life. There's not a believer in this room that wouldn't raise your, raise your hand and say, Matt, you're totally right. God ought to have first place in my life. But so many of us have made decisions where in our finances, he's just not. God says, do this. It teaches your heart to let him have his rightful place. Okay, last thing. Look at Deuteronomy 14 one more time. Because here's what we learned so far. God wants you to give to him so your heart will follow after him as treasure. And two, God wants us to give to him because when we do, it teaches our hearts to feel the Lord. Here's number three, Deuteronomy 14, 23. <clears throat> it says, and before the Lord your God <clears throat> in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil. Now watch this. He says, and the firstborn 
of your herd and flock and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord, your God, always. Okay, now in this verse, God is asking something kind of interesting of his people. He says, hey, I want you to give to me the firstborn of your flock. Okay, say your cow has a calf. God says, I want you to give me that firstborn calf. It's this principle, now hear this. It's a principle that God uses in regards to giving. Listen, where he doesn't just ask his people to give him a portion of their income, but he asks them to give a portion of their income first before they do anything else. And here's why he does this. Don't miss this. Here's why he asks that. It's a principle of giving that doesn't just teach us to fear him as Lord, but it's a principle of giving that teaches us to trust him as a good heavenly father. Okay, giving teaches us to fear him as Lord. Tithing teaches us to fear him as Lord. Giving to him first before we give anything else teaches us to trust him as our heavenly father. Okay, imagine for just a second that that you lived in Old Testament times and you got tired of growing pineapples and so you're gonna start like a cow business. You're gonna get in the cattle business. And so you buy a cow and you buy a bull spend your money and it's a big gamble, big risk and lo and behold, one day, good news, your cow is pregnant. You and your kids, you're celebrating because that's your future right there. That's, that's the hope. And so that night, everybody's pumped and so y'all are celebrating and you're sitting around the fire with your kids and your wife and before the kids go to bed, you pull out your Bible and you're gonna read the scripture to your kids and pray for them before they go to bed and and you come across Deuteronomy 14, 23, and you're reading this to your kids, and it says, I'm before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain and of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. You say, kids, go to bed. And you sit out there under the stars, the fire's crackling and you start to pray and you go, God, I don't get this. I mean, God, what you just told me to do is take this cow that's about to be born here in a few days, this, this, this firstborn calf and, and give it to you. God, God, I don't, I don't even know if we're ever gonna have another one. God, I'm kind of, my security, my future, my my kid's ability to eat, it is all tied into this calf, Lord. You're telling me that before there's anything else on the table, you want me to take this calf and give it to you. And then God, through his spirit and through his word, whispers back to your heart, yes. I want you to take that calf, that firstborn calf, and I want you to trust me with it trust me with it because when you do when you trust me with the first fruits when you trust me with the firstborn you're not just fearing me as as lord you're trusting me as a good heavenly father in your life and i want to tell you something church i'm done just listen i want to tell you why that might be the most critical thing we say all day long because here's the thing if you have 10 
calves and you give God one of them, that's good biblical discipline. You got 10 calves, you get God a 10th, that's good biblical discipline. You got one calf and you give God the one calf, the firstborn calf, that's not discipline, that is faith. That is trust. And I wanna tell you something. From what I can read, there is nothing that moves the heart of God more than faith when he sees it. I can't find anything in all of the Bible that made Jesus stop in his tracks like faith when he saw it. When Jesus saw real, genuine faith like that, he just stopped and said, whoa, wait, wait, everybody stop. Did you just see that? That's what I'm talking about. And that's what God is asking of us in our lives. We don't just give to fear the Lord. We give because we say, God, you're my dad and I trust you. And a lot of you guys... Most, most of us probably, this is kind of where, this is where we're at today. And what do we do? What do we do? <clears throat> if this is where we're at. Well, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to pray. I want you to pray because you remember way back at the beginning of the sermon, God says, he doesn't want you to do this out of compulsion. It's a heart decision. And so some of you are at a place where you just need to pray, God, I need you to change my heart. Change my heart. Teach me to fear you. Teach me to trust you as my dad. That's step one. Some of y'all do that today. Here's step two. After God changes your heart and it becomes a heart decision that you're gonna do this, the second thing is you gotta kind of look and see, God, where do you want me to sacrifice in my life? Where do you want me to give up life decisions and lifestyle choices in order to be faithful with the, with the things that you have given me to steward? And that's when it gets real specific. That's when you gotta start making decisions in your life. And so you pray, you look into it, where does God call me to sacrifice? And the last thing is walk in obedience. Do it, walk in obedience. I wanna make a promise to you. I wanna make a promise to you. You will never regret a single penny you invest into the kingdom of God. I promise you that. Let's pray. Father, these are, these are hard things for us. You knew that about us. You knew how we were wired and our heart's propensity to love money and to find our security and our hope in the stuff of this world. But God, I pray that you would do a great work in my heart and the hearts of many in this room that we would trust you, that we would have faith in you, God, not just um, in theory, but we would have faith and practice in all of our lives, but specifically our money. God, we praise you. I thank you for your provision in our life. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. And guys, we're gonna show a quick video and then we'll worship.